New Year. I'm so excited to be here this morning. This is a great joy for me. My holidays are not over until after this class. Because one of the things I like most in life is getting to stand up here and share with you how God's moved in my life and how he's continuing to move in my life and what I'm learning from him and and things that, that have impressed me in my walk. And to get to share that with you is one of my favorite things in my life. And so for me, this is still part of my holiday, my favorite things. I've been with family. I've gotten fat. I've, uh, <laughs> I've uh, beaten Lewis in racquetball. I beat Paul Tomerlin in racquetball. Um, I have just had a ball. And so it's just been everything great, but it's not officially over until after I get to spend time with y'all, which is what I'm getting to do right now. So after this, holidays are through, and it's put your nose to the grindstone and get back to work time. But you know what they say about that? Keep your nose to the grindstone, and you'll soon make a point. So with that, with that, we're going to start this morning with a, with a goofy-looking slide. It looks so good on my computer and looks so goofy up there. Torah devotionals. Here's the problem we've got. Well, problem. Let's speak positively. Here's the opportunity we have. The entire church is going to start looking at the book of Colossians... At the end of January, I think it's the 29th, if I remember the, the, the days right. So we're going to start a series in here that the rest of the church is starting on January 29th. That'll last for, I don't know, six or eight weeks or something like that as we work through the book of Colossians. So that means that we've got a couple of Sundays to burn. Now this is an opportunity and I could f- continue to do what I was doing at the end of the year, which had been my plan But I am so far behind in producing a manuscript for a publisher that I decided instead I would take that time and and use you as my guinea pigs and continue to work on the material that I'm working on for a book that hopefully Becky and I will be able to give you guys at the end of the year as as a Christmas gift. But that only works if I can get it to the publisher by the end of March. And so I'm, I'm really stuck time-wise. So I'm writing my Torah devotionals and I'm parceling some of them out on you so you can email me and say, yeah, keep that one in there or say, that one doesn't quite make the cut. So that's where, I, that's where you fall in. But it's also a really great way to start the new year. And so let's just do our refresher to make sure we're all on the same page. If we were looking at a Hebrew Bible, we'd be looking at a book that's called the Tanakh. The Tanakh is the Hebrew Bible. T-A-N-A, this one, K-H, Tanakh. We would call that the Old Testament. But I want you to try and say it with me in Hebrew. Tanakh, Tanakh. Y'all are naturals. Now, Tanakh's not a Hebrew word. It's a combination of three Hebrew words. And so it takes a T and it takes an N, and it takes a K-H from three different Hebrew words. And if we wanted to look at those three different Hebrew words, the T stands for Torah. Torah is a Hebrew word that means simply law. The N is from a Hebrew word, Nevaim. Nevaim is a Hebrew word that means uh, simply, it means prophets. And then the third letter, the K-H, 
KH comes from a Hebrew word, ketavim. And ketavim just references writings. It's like everything else in the Old Testament. And so you've got these books in the Old Testament in our English Bibles. The law, the Torah books, are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The books of Moses. The prophet books are not what we typically think of as books that have prophecy. But they were the books composed by the prophets to inform Israel. And so they include historical books like Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. But then they include the typical prophetic books that we know of, Isaiah and Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the 12 minor prophets. And so those are the prophetic books. Then there's a third group of writings that are these writings. These are the Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. They include, interestingly enough, the book of Daniel, which many of us would think of as a prophetic book, but it's in the other writings. Uh, First and Second Chronicles, which is a counterpart to First and Second Kings. So Psalms and, and through Chronicles in the Hebrew Bible are the other writings. Now, this is why in the New Testament you'll see Jesus talking about the law and the prophets. Or the law and the prophets and the other writings and how they bear witness to Jesus. Because that's what the Hebrew scrolls fit into in their collections. So within the framework of this, you've got the Hebrew Old Testament are the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh. Now, what I'm trying to do this time, this year, what I need to finish by the end of March, is a devotional book. But if you've got a lawyer, where is the lawyer need to write his devotional book from? The law, right? The Torah. Now, you might think, I met a University of Houston law student this morning that Scott brought with him. Uh, Yes, Jennifer. Stand up, Jennifer, so everybody knows you. She's just finished her first semester in law school. Everybody give Jennifer a good clap. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Jennifer. She'll never come back now. Um, But uh, uh, if she does, y'all will know her. Jennifer is a law student. I did law school 35 years ago. And, And in law school, you might think of the law as, oh, the Ten Commandments. Or, oh, it's all of those 600 and some odd instructions of how to live. Well, yes and yes, but the law books of the Old Testament are much more than that. They include the book of Genesis, which isn't law in the sense that we think of a legal code. The book of Genesis is the law book that gives history, gives instructions before Moses ever comes along to get the legal code. And so the law section of the Old Testament isn't simply legal code. It also includes stories. Now, most of you know, because we tried to, to make sure everybody got a copy, that, that we, I wrote a book of devotionals from the Psalms. But if you read through that this last year, you will have noted what several of the Psalms say. Now, the Psalms as a devotional source, easy peasy. I mean, those things ooze devotional. You want to have a devotional quiet time with the Lord? 
read the Psalms. The neat thing about it is if you've got a Christian Bible, you just open it up to the middle. Bam, you're in the Psalms. It's like in the middle of the Bible. So it's easy to find. And I just randomly picked it up. Look, randomly picked it up. I'll throw it up here on the uh, Elmo. And uh, here we go. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Devotional on that, easy, easy, easy. Sing to the Lord a new song. We need to be fresh. Our praise should never be stale and stagnant. We need to constantly think of fresh and new ways to praise and thank God. That's easy to do. If we're plugged into God and seeing that He is fresh and vibrant and new in our life every day. Yes, God never changes. But don't have an image of God as some old man with a long beard sitting in a rickety chair. God is fresher than tomorrow. God is more up to date than Windows Infinity. Point one. And so you can easily write these devotionals off of the Psalms. I mean, it, it oozes devotionals. But if we go back to the PowerPoint, where's one of the Psalm passages? Oh, how love I your law. It is my meditation all the day. What's the Hebrew word for law? Torah. This is the other writings section of Scripture saying, Oh, how I love the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Oh, how I love the law. It's my meditation night and day. It's what I'm thinking about. These are the teachings of God that earlier in this psalm, do you remember the, did, did y'all, uh, growing up, some of you grew up in Christian churches, some of you did not grow up in Christian churches, some of you grew up in Christian churches that sang certain songs, some of you grew up in Christian churches that didn't. We've got everybody all across the spectrum. But in the church tradition where I grew up, there was a song that we would sing, How Shall the Young Secure Their Hearts? And keep their lives from sin. Thy word, the golden rule imparts to keep the conscience clean. Did anybody sing that other than us? Somebody did? Okay, good. Three. It was a really big hit. And that's in the same Psalm 119. This is how you keep your heart clean. This is how you bring yourself up. It's meditating on the law. You'd think the Psalms would give some good self-promo. Oh, how love I your psalms. They are my meditation night and day. No, no, no. It's saying the law. So the law is rich for our meditation. To to not only stoke our eyes and open our minds, but look at another passage out of Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your Torah. Okay? That's what we're about. That's what the devotional book will be about. But that's what we're going to be about until we start the Colossians series. And so that's my prayer. So just join me right now in this prayer. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Because it's loaded 
with wondrous things. So that's what I want us to do. I want us to look at the law and we'll look at it out of an English Bible. But the English Bible, if if any of you started this year with a New Year's resolution to read through the Bible in a year, a lot of people do that. And if so, I applaud you. High five. I hope you're still on it. If you've already gotten off of it, that's okay. You probably wouldn't have made it through Leviticus anyway. Uh, I have more confidence in you than that. But the road through Leviticus is strewn with dead corpses of read through the Bible in a year plan people. Um, but our Bibles are divided up in chapters and verses. And so if you're reading through the Bible in a year, you read around three to four chapters a day. A lot of practicing Jews make it a point to read through the Torah in a year. And so there are reading plans to read through the Torah in a year. And a Torah reading plan is a parashah or parshim if, if you're pluralizing it. But, but the parashah, the reading plan, is one that divides the Torah up into 52 sections. So that you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy in a year. And you can get these. You can download them off the internet and see where they are. Bar a sheet. Genesis is uh, the way we say it in English. But the Hebrew Bible calls each book by the first word in the book. And the first word in Genesis is bar a sheet. It means in the beginning or at the head of. So bar a sheet and you start and you read Genesis 1-1 through 6-8 in the first week. The second week, you read the Noah passage, 6, 9 through 11, 32. The third week, you start with 12, 1 through 17, 27. This is your reading plan. So the goal behind my Torah devotional is to try and keep each week's reading within the proper week's reading if you're following a Hebrew reading plan through the Torah. Now, that's, I'm doing for a couple of reasons, but one of the most interesting ones is the discipline. Because it's easy to get devotional material out of some parts of the Old Testament. It's real easy to get devotional material. Uh, look, look at, uh, here's Genesis 2 and 3. And this is our Bible that we use here in class. And so these are only marks that were made during class. You can see how much we've marked it up because that's just easy material. It's rich with, with the fabric that we can use to clothe our lives. The problem is, flip over here, catch a little Leviticus action. Whoa, how many marks did we put there in Leviticus 15 and 16? Well, we hadn't quite marked it up much. Let's see what we've been missing. Laws about bodily discharges. Now, there's some devotional material if you're in sixth grade. We've got our granddaughter with us for... They landed last night. We got them at the airport around 7.20, 7.30 last night. They're just flying through here to go back to England. Uh, our daughter-in-law, Nora, and Ebba, our granddaughter. And... Um, they've got to fly out this afternoon. And, and this morning, I got the joy of getting to take Ebba around. Now, Ebba is 18 months old. I'm telling you, that's, that's my age. 
okay, she, she laughs at my jokes. Um, uh, you know, she hadn't heard them before, or if she has, she doesn't remember them. It works real well. She's into slapstick. You spill water on yourself. She thinks it's hilarious. I took her outside this morning with the dog, and we watched the dog do bodily discharges. She thought it was great. So I'm into devotional material, but I mean, it's kind of, it's one thing if you're an infant, but how are you going to write the devotional material on when any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. So that's the kind of thing you can skip over unless you're doing the devotional the way I'm doing it. So the way I'm doing it, I, I want to try to understand Lord, speak to me. Let me meditate on your law. Make it change who I am and how I understand you. When Jesus was growing up, Jesus did not meditate on 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to learn love. Paul hadn't written it yet. Jesus meditated on the law and on the scriptures, the Tanakh. And so this is ripe for Jesus. It's ripe for us. So let's go to the PowerPoint and let's move through a few of these devotionals this week and look at them. We've got to look through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and uh, we'll throw them up there and see what happens. So first devotional for today. We've got uh, uh, just under 30 minutes. Let's see how many we can make it through. I've selected some from each of those five books. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the faces of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I love the way the Bible begins. Now here we are, we are in the beginning of a new year. And in the beginning is just a marvelous place to start. If you think about the Gospels, for example, I was listening to a fellow and I just really loved his presentation. Uh, someone, I'm going to try and get him to come to the library and lecture and maybe I can interview him in this class if, if it all works out. But he was talking about the Gospels and he says, you know, each Gospel starts out with an introduction. And we think, scholars seem to think that the first Gospel written was Mark. And so each gospel wants to start out with its, its beginning. And, and Mark starts out the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it's written in Isaiah the prophet. That's a pretty good start. Isaiah the prophet. Jesus wasn't some new thing. The beginning of the gospel, got Jesus wasn't an afterthought. Jesus is found back in the Old Testament according to the prophet of Isaiah. Here's the beginning of the gospel, Mark says, and he goes to Isaiah the prophet, written 600 plus years before Jesus. The next gospel to probably be written is the gospel of Matthew. And Matthew comes to write his gospel. Mark's already written. Mark's already said, hey, I'm going back to the beginning uh, uh, of the gospel and I'm going to Isaiah. And, and Matthew is kind of like, yeah, I got your Isaiah and I'll raise you one. I'm going back further than that. He says, here's the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Booyah. I didn't have started Isaiah. 
I went all the way back to Abraham 1,400 years before Isaiah. And then Luke writes his. Luke's just a reporter. You know, Luke's, uh, in as much as many people have undertaken to write a narrative, uh, you know, it seems fitting to me to write you one too, and I'm going to fill it in with all of my reporting information, which is a valid way for him to start his gospel too. But John puts them all to shame. John's the last one to write. And John says, I'm not going back to Isaiah. I'm not going back to the stories. I'm not going back to, to Abraham. I'm trumping you all. How does he start? In the beginning. He goes back to Genesis 1. Because that's the story on earth of the start of Jesus. So what we have in Genesis 1 is in the beginning. And we know that this is God in his fullness. This is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Created the heavens and the earth. But there's a problem here. The earth was without form and void. Now that is the key phrase to understanding the entire creation story of the six days of creation. Because those are days where God first forms for three days, and then for three days he fills what he formed. So he'll form light and darkness on day one, and then day four he'll fill it with the sun and the moon and the stars. He'll form the heavens and the earth on day two, and then on day five he'll fill it up with the, the, the uh, animals, and uh, I mean uh, the, the plants and, and all of these. He'll form, you know, he, he, he forms and he fills. He forms and he fills. Now, if we understand that this is what God does in the beginning, I don't think it's harsh for us and I don't think it's out of line for us to understand God does this in every beginning. So we're here at the beginning of a new year. And somehow your year and my year is going to be formed. And it's going to be filled. So you want to form your own year? Or do you want the creator God to form it for you? Do you want to fill your year with your own stuff? Or do you want the creator God to fill it with his plans? Do you want to do this year with your resources? Or do you want the creator God to resource you for what he wants to do through you? We make a huge mistake if we ever think the Bible was written about other people and not us. The Bible was written about other people and us. The Bible is God's word. Paul says... To Timothy, that it's inspired by God to profit us, to help us grow in not just knowledge, but wisdom and, 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 and judgment and discernment. So I look at this passage this morning and I ask myself, what can I do with this? And it's real simple. I want God who created the heavens and the earth who took it and formed it and filled it, I want him to do the same in my life. So if your life is helter-skelter 
and you just don't feel like you, your, your life has the form of melting ice cream, of jello. Your, your, your life just doesn't seem to have the structure it needs. Look to the Lord and say, Lord, give me priorities. Give me structure. Form my life. Give me plans. Give me destiny. Give me purpose. And then fill me with what it takes to do it. I got a text message from Michael Card uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, I sent it on to, to Janet Seifert. If any of y'all want it, let me know. I'll send you the link. Michael Card sent me a text message of a children's choir in this majestic cathedral in, in England singing his Christmas song on the Incarnation. And it just blew me away. I don't know that Michael would be watching this. He does occasionally. And if so, don't listen to this part, Mike. At first, I was just going to listen to a little bit of it so I could say, oh, yeah, listen, that is really nice. Thanks, Mike. I started listening to it. I couldn't turn it off. I've listened to it countless times. It's just, and I texted him back and said, I got to tell you, buddy, you can die and go home to the Lord now knowing he used you to make a difference in this world. And he did. But it's not just the Mike cards of this world. You may never not get, you may never get your situation on YouTube. But if you are a garbage collector who helped clean up the streets after the hurricane, God used you to change this world if you did it to his glory. If you are homebound and a shut-in and watching this, and you're taking the little bit of energy you've got to pray for people that you know need your prayer, God used you to change this world. Let God form your year and let God fill it. Next devotional. Again, we're Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I want to pull another one out of Genesis with you for a moment. Nah, skip that one. Um, uh, Okay, maybe we do it. The waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. When I was uh, fresh out of law school, I was a young lawyer at a a firm called Fulbright and Jaworski. And uh, they had like 800 and some odd lawyers at the time. Massive firm. And there was still part of me that I was thankful I'd gone to law school. I was thankful I was a lawyer. I loved my job. I loved the people I worked with by and large. Um, Got to be honest. Um, but there was still part of me that really wished I'd decided to either go into academia or go into preaching. And so I was still reading a lot of Hebrew and, and Greek and I was really perplexed by this passage. Now, I, I, I got out of law school pretty young. I was 23 when I got out. And, and I remember looking at this passage thinking, well, this just doesn't seem to fit with my understanding of God. Look at it for a moment. The waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. How many months is that? That's like four, five months? Five months. 
But God remembered Noah. He remembered him. He remembered him. What's God doing? Remember, had he forgotten for five months? Was it like, oh my gosh, the cake's gonna burn. I forgot. And a lot of skeptics of the Bible and skeptics of faith write on this passage and they say this shows a very primitive idea of God. That God was just a supersized human. So when we forget things, it's understandable. When God forgets things, it's understandable. And this shows you that the Bible is not a coherent truth from front to back, but rather the musings of a bunch of people who wrote it down. And I looked at this passage and I thought, wow, you know, I can sort of see the argument. So I started pulling out my Hebrew books and trying to read and understand this better in the Hebrew. And I translated it in, in college and, and, and I, I remembered it and I, and I, and I went back through it and, and zakar is the Hebrew word for remember. Zakar. Say that. Zakar. Zakar. Good. And and there was a, a, a monograph, a small little book that had been written on the Hebrew word zakar entitled Memory and Tradition in Israel. And it was written by a fellow named Brevard Childs, who's one of the best Old Testament scholars of the 20th century. He's now dead. Uh, he was at uh, Princeton, I believe. And um, uh, he might have been at Yale. I think he was at Princeton, but if he was at Yale, then I think he was at Yale. <laughs> but if he was at Princeton, I think he was at Princeton. Whichever is right is the one I think he was. Anyway, he had already retired by this point in time, but I'm a young lawyer, and so I want to try and get his book. That's easy now. You can get this stuff off the internet. Those of you younger than the age of 30 may not realize we didn't always have the internet. Amazon was not always present with an understanding of what every single item in the world is and where it is for sale. And so I couldn't find the book for sale. It had been published in 1961 and I couldn't find a copy of it. And I really wanted to read it. I wanted to dig into this word. It was an entire study of that Hebrew word zakar, memory, and, and remember. And so I, I, um, I called Yale or Princeton, whichever one it was, which is which one I think he was at. And I said, hello, I need the theological school. And they transferred me over. And I said, hello, my name is Mark Lanier. I'm a lawyer with Fulbright and Jaworski in Houston. And I'm trying to get a hold of Professor Brevard Childs. Does he keep office hours anymore? Well, it's amazing what happens when you call and say you're a lawyer. <laughs> the woman, very kindly on the phone, says, No, he's not up here very often, but let me give you his home number. <laughs> Gives me his home number. Thinking, this is pretty cool. So I dial his home number. And I hear this elderly voice, Hello? And I said, Professor Childs? Yes. I said, my name is Mark Lanier. I'm a lawyer in Houston, Texas with Fulbright and Jaworski. You do not know me. 
Um, but I appreciate uh, a few minutes of your time on the phone. What did I do? <laughs> I said, you wrote a book entitled Memory and Tradition in Israel. It was published by SCM in 1961. I desperately need a copy of it. I don't suppose you have any extra ones you could sell me. Well, I do. He said, I got to tell you though, you don't want my book. And I said, yes, I do. He said, no, no, no. He said, I was set to write the book. And then a German student was writing a dissertation on the same issue. And when we found out about that, I rushed the book to get it to press before his dissertation because it would have been useless after his dissertation. His dissertation is much better. It's, and then he gave me this long German phrase. And I said, sir, I don't read German. He said, you don't? I said, no. He said, well, then you need my book. (laughs) And he mailed me one. And the book confirmed what my study had said and what everybody who studies the Hebrew word understands. Zachar in Hebrew doesn't mean to as much to remember something you had previously forgotten. Zakar in Hebrew means to take action because of something that's in your mind. Do you see the difference? Uh, if, if I tried to draw it out, um, okay, this is a person. Whoops, there we go. This is a person, okay, here. We'll make it look like Brent Johnson. Let's see. Oh, wait, he's got that little thing going here. Okay, there's a person. Now, we think of remember... The English remember, we think of is zero in the brain, and then it becomes a memory. Oh, yeah. And that's what we think of with English. But in Hebrew, that word zakar, in Hebrew... That word is, sorry Brent, you're not as pretty in this one. Actually, it's not really that different. In Hebrew, it's it's in your mind, the memory is there already, but you are now taking action. And it's the action that's being emphasized. You see the difference? So, I don't know how you could translate that short of remember... But if we go back to the PowerPoint, we've got the passage now. I mean, yeah, PowerPoint, please. The waters prevailed over the earth 150 days, but God remembered Noah. It's not that he'd forgotten. He hadn't forgotten you. He hadn't forgotten me. He hadn't forgotten anything. God doesn't forget. It's he's taking action. God took action because of what he had promised Noah. God is an action God. One of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, Zechariah. You know Zechariah? 
Yah is an abbreviation for Yahweh, the name of God. Zakar means to take action because of a memory, a commitment because of the past. The whole book of Zechariah is Yahweh will take action on behalf of Israel in the future. You can rely on Him. God doesn't forget. God does remember. He does not forget. He is an action God. And when you are here today, take confidence in that. Dwell on that. Meditate on that. God is an action God. You need action in your life. You've got an action God. You've got an action God. Let's go to Exodus. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever's of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. They came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for all the holy garments. I love this passage. I love this passage because, let me get those others up there, because it, it, it's a passage of maturing. Ebba is, our granddaughter is 18 months old. She hasn't hit the mind stage yet. But you know, every child does. Mind. 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 And we've got to teach them to share. There's a growing process and a very real thing where we need to learn that the things that we have aren't mine. They're His. I, my, my, just go through an inventory of your life. I go through an inventory of my life. The, the resources you've got, the, the money you've got. It's not yours. It's His. It, and, and, well, I understand that a tenth of it is. That's the tithe. No. We don't sing, a tenth to Jesus I surrender, a tenth to Him I freely give. I surrender a tenth, I surrender a tenth, a tenth to Thee my Lord and Savior, I surrender a tenth. I mean, yeah... Show me the church where that's in the songbook and it's probably bursting at the seams in attendance, but that's not the mentality we want. It's I surrender all. It's all His. It's not just money. You know, one of the most precious commodities in my life are these ticking seconds in a day. I tried to save them once. I thought, I'm going to save an hour of today and roll it over into next week. Uh Uh-uh, doesn't happen. I hit the rewind button and I couldn't go back. Every minute you've got is precious. Do you realize right now, everybody in this room, right now, right now, right this very minute, You're older than you have ever been in your entire life. 
Now, don't feel bad about it. That's glass half empty. Let me tell you, glass half full. You're younger right now than you'll ever be in the future. But that time is God's. It's not mine. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean, oh, I can't go home and take a nap? Of course not. This is God gave man the Sabbath. There is time to rest. And if you're not resting, you're not taking care of your body. And and your body is not yours. Whose is it? God's. That's why Paul says, don't go sleeping with whores. Your body and yours, it's the Lord's. Are you going to join the Lord's body up with a prostitute? You're responsible for what you have because what you have has been entrusted to you by God. So we need to use some wisdom in how to do it. We need to grow out of mine, 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 mine and not be, in my case, a 57-year-old infant toddler. We need to recognize it's his, 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 his and think, what does he want me to do? And I'll tell you the nice thing about it is all of a sudden when you really start plugging into that, all of the junk that goes with what we have. You know, we don't just have good things. We got junk too. We got problems. We've got limitations. We've got frailties. Mel's got a hip replacement. Two of them. Don't you have two? You got one. Two? Yeah. To dose. Dose hippos. Hippos is, is Greek for horse, by the way. Okay? So I wasn't insulting the hippos of the world. But he's got two hip replacements. Well, to some degree, that's going to put some restrictions on what he can do. But those aren't his restrictions. They're God's. God knows he's got the hip replacements. God's saddled with that issue. And it doesn't matter. It makes him more fit for what God wants him to do. God's just kept him from going out and playing racquetball. That's a good thing in some ways. I mean, you you just look at your life and realize not only are the assets and the cool things that you've got belonging to God, but so are the problems. So let him worry about them. Why are you worried about this? This is God's responsibility. Your responsibility is to be as good a steward as you can with what you've got. So we grow. We try to be good stewards. We try to be responsible. And we trust God with the rest. Let's take time for one more. Um, I do want to be a good steward. Uh, let's get through that. Uh, We're just slipping through these things. Oh, I really like this one. Three minutes? Nah, we don't have time for this one. Yeah, let's go ahead and do this one. Okay. Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he's filled him with the Spirit of God. 
and with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze, cutting stones for the setting, carving wood for work in every skilled craft. They're building the tabernacle and the worshiping accoutrements for worshiping God. And God called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Now let's pause for just a moment. Did you know God has called you by name? Everyone has been called by name. God doesn't call you as a group. I'd like to call the people from Champion Forest Baptist Church. (laughs) Biblical literacy class, I'd like to call you forth. No. He's called you by name. And not only has he called you by name, but he knows who your mama was and who your daddy was. And he knows who theirs were. And he knows who theirs were. He's got the family tree down. 23 and me chromosomes. He doesn't need to send it off and wait for the results. He knows every amino acid that makes up every protein that makes up every strand of your DNA. He knows exactly who you are and he has called you and he has blessed you with everything you need to do everything he wants you to do. Well, I'm not very good at that. Fine. If he wants you to do that, he'll give you a special gift for the moment. But you look at what you've got and you know, even if you don't have what you wish you had by looking at someone else, doesn't matter. Your job's not what that person's job is. The job that you've got to do for the Lord that He's going to form for you this year, that He's going to fill you in your life, that He's going to empower you to do is one that He has called and designated for you. He's called you by name and He's given you every skill, every intelligence, every knowledge, every know-how and craftsmanship that you need to do His plans. It's all about Him. That's what this year needs to be. And I hope you'll commit that with me. So I want to close this with a word of prayer, but but, but I really want you to go out from here charged for this year. Charged with an understanding that everything you've got, the whole year, what you bring to it, your strengths and your weaknesses, everything you've got, is God's and He knows that He's given it to you and He's called you by name because He has purpose and reason for you in your life this year. And I'll tell you, you can. I'll give you the definitive test for knowing when God doesn't have anything left for you to do. The definitive test is your funeral. If you are alive, He has something for you. He's called you by name and imbued you with all you need to do it. So don't go off 
half-cocked thinking that you are your own and your plans are your own. If so, your year will not be the year it should be. Let God form and fill your year as he has forming and filling you with what you need to do what he wants you to do. Okay? Pray with me. Lord, thank you. We come before you right now as a group, but knowing that you call us each individually by name. And so, Lord, we, we, we set before you our lives, all of our chances and opportunities and the blessings and, 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 and the travails and the pains and the tribulations and the worries and the concerns and the opportunities and the excitement and the joy. Yes, the fun. Everything we've got, Lord, we lay it down before you. We thank you for calling us by name and telling us and informing us and, and taking charge of us so that we can do the things of yours that you planned for us this year. That's our desire of our heart, Father. And where it's not, purify our heart through your Son, Jesus Christ, from the beginning. Amen.